The title of this morning's message is See Through Me, and this is the fifth in a series of messages that is focusing on the God who sins. We have discovered through the Old Testament and the New Testament that one of the ways God is described is as a God who sends us. And whenever God gets ready to do something, he sends someone. And what we discovered today is that all of us who know Jesus are sent people. We have a mission. We have a calling. And we want to explore some more of what that means today. Each of us, whether you're a Christian today or not, was made in the image of God. We learn in the earliest pages of your Bibles in the book of Genesis that when God created man and woman, he made them in his image. And because of that, immediately we understand that one of the reasons you and I exist is to do something that no other creature in the universe can do. And that is reflect visibly the image of God who is invisible. To make the invisible God visible to all creation. And this becomes clear throughout the Scripture. Especially when we come to the New Testament, we read about how we're to share our faith and make disciples and let the world know about who God is. In His wisdom, He has chosen you and I to make Him known. The one who did this perfectly, of course, was His Son, Jesus Christ, who perfectly reflected the image and the character of God because He was God. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus was sent as the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. But He is not finished. He now sends you and me to make Him known. When I was little, my, my grandfather lived next door at a very important period of my life growing up. And because of that, my mother was divorced when I was little, and before she remarried, my grandfather moved in next door on purpose. He, there was a ditch between the houses, and he built a little bridge. There was a gate there. I could go see my grandfather anytime I wanted. He just passed away a couple years ago, just short of 101 years old. And so if I have his DNA, we may be together a very long time in this world. When I would go into his office, he always had interesting things laying around. He had uh, a gavel. He had just, you know, letter openers and things that I was fascinated with as a four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old kid. And so I would go into his office, and one thing he had, sitting in a, in a square, a cube, glassed case that was sealed. You couldn't get in it. Sitting on velvet was, a, was a, what looked to me to be a golden crown. Now, he got that for selling a bunch of insurance or something like that. But I didn't, I didn't even know what insurance was as a kid. All I knew is that my grandfather had a golden crown in his office. I called him Papa. Now they call me Papa. And sitting in my study at home, I have that crown sitting inside that glass case. 
Not too long ago, Callum, our oldest grandson, came to visit. And apparently he had not noticed that. I don't have it sitting out in the open. It's kind of sitting behind a door. And he looked and he saw that crown sitting there. And we had traveled to Walt Disney World together. He had seen a lot of people with crowns. Princesses and princes and kings and queens. And his papa has a crown. Now, I shared all that just to point out that the function of that glass case is not what impressed my grandson. The function of that glass case is not what impressed me as a little kid going to my grandfather's office. The function of that glass case was to allow people to see into it and to see what was contained in it. Dear ones, when God sends you and me, his purpose is not that the world will be impressed with you and me. We are the glass case. His desire is that through us, by looking at us, looking through us, the world would know him, would see him, hear him, know him, by looking and seeing through our lives. How does that happen? Well, the same way that he sent Jesus, he sends you and me. Listen to this. John 17, verse 18. Jesus said this twice. John 17, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Now, he says this is the midst of a prayer, talking to his Father. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. If you're looking at a Bible and you have a pen or pencil, you know, you could underline the word as or circle it. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. You know what that word as means? It means in the same way. It means in the same manner. It means that just about everything you could say about the way Jesus was sent into the world has now become true of the way you and I are sent into the world. As you sent me, I also have sent them. And then three chapters later in John 20, verse 21, after the resurrection, Jesus walks through a solid door, solid wall, and appears to his disciples, and they're afraid. And in the midst of this conversation they had, John 20, verse 21, Jesus says, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. He says it again. Now, the Gospel of John, perhaps more than any other gospel, describes God as the God who sends. He is the one who sent me, Jesus said. And over and over again, God is described in terms as the one who sends. But here, he sends not only Jesus, but now Jesus turns and sends you and me. Now, the question is, how does he send me? If we're sent the same way that Jesus is sent, what does that mean practically? Well, we're going to take a close look at that by looking at the life of Jesus and how he was sent and what he said about being sent. Now, what we're going to do here is really important because this applies not only to being sent, this applies to your prayer life, this applies to your relationships with others, this applies to your relationship with God, That if I want to understand what God's agenda is in my life, what he's trying to accomplish in my life, if I want to understand where God is taking me, 
no matter what else is happening to me, no matter who I meet, no matter what troubles I encounter, what is God's agenda, what is God trying to accomplish through everything that's happening to me, all I need to do is look at Jesus Christ. Because his agenda is to conform me to the image of Jesus. That means if I want to know where God's taking me, for example, in my prayer life, all I need to do is study the prayer life of Jesus. Because he wants to conform me to the prayer life of Jesus. If I want to know where he's taking me in my relationships with people, all I got to do is watch Jesus. Because his goal is to conform me to the image of Jesus. No one else, no one else reflected the invisible God and made him visible the way Jesus did. And it is the Father's desire to do the same thing with you and me. And so as we think about someone who is sent, what does it mean to be sent? What is God trying to do? You know, when we have problems, we have an agenda. Oh, God, get me out of this problem. We have all kinds of thoughts and feelings and concerns. But God is steady. He has, his purpose is continuous. He is not letting up. He is not taking his foot off the gas pedal. He is taking us to a place where we are made into the likeness of his son. And so if you want to get on the same page with God when you're in trouble, if you want to understand what he's trying to do when, when you're facing pressure and difficulty, understand that he's trying to make you like his son. So how does he send me? He wants to send me the same way he sent his son. So I'm just going to share three simple statements with you, but I want to examine them closely. How does he send me? Number one, not to do my will, but his. Not to do my will, but his. Let's see how this played out in the life of Jesus. John 4, verse 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 5, verse 30. I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. John 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 8, 29. I always do those things that please him. Now, if that's the way Jesus lived, how can I expect that somehow I am off the hook from living that way? How can I do less than live the way Jesus lived? And so his whole life was consumed with the will of God, not his will, all the way down to the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going we're gonna to read some of the language that occurred in that garden prayer on that night before he was crucified. Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And he didn't do it just one time or two times. He did it at least three or more times. Oh God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, he finally says, not my will, but yours be done. That's how he lived. And so when we are living as sent people, he says, I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. That's the way we're expected to live as well. Now, with each of these, I want to give you a key, a practical way of thinking about how he sends us. See through me. Key number one. See through me. 
key number one, here it is, consistently doing what God wants me to do. If I want to be the glass case, and I don't want to fog up the glass, I want people to see God at work in my life and through my life. If I want to be a see-through Christian, I need to consistently do what God wants me to do. Now, the good news is I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to know everything God wants me to do today. I just need to know the next step. We've talked about that many times. But the wonderful thing about this and the reason it's so much easier to live this way is I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to know what's going to happen two days from now, two weeks from now, two years from now. He has the plan. He's got the map. He has the purpose. He works all things according to his will, it says in Ephesians. All things are being worked out according to his will. And so I don't have to know all of that. I don't have to have all that uh, uh, ready right now. And so what I can do is make sure that the way I approach decisions, the way I approach planning, does not interfere with those truths. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, how can people see through me and see God? It's an attitude, especially when it comes to decision-making. Galatians 1.10, Paul says, Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And a bondservant is a nice way of saying a slave. Now Paul understood that what he was was a slave to a master. Now the relationship is more than that. He loves us, and that love is wonderful. It is overwhelming. But when it comes to decisions, when it comes to who am I going to please with my life, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, Paul says. I'm a slave. I don't have any rights. I don't have to make the decisions either because they belong to my master. And so he makes those decisions. He chooses who goes. He chooses where they go. He chooses when they go. He determines what they're going to experience when he gets there. So I ask the question, is he your master? Can you say with Paul, I'm nothing more than a bond slave of Jesus Christ? I am his property. I am owned by him completely. And every decision I have is not mine. It belongs to him. Is he your master? How serious are you about doing his will? Think about that. How serious are you about doing his will? If I want people to know that God lives in me and that I've been sent, one of the great ways they can see that is in your approach to making decisions. Typically, when God is involved and he's leading you, in the big decisions of life as well as the small ones, typically they are decisions that you cannot carry out unless he steps in. They're just too big. And because they're that big, they always typically require a step of faith. If there's no faith involved, God is probably not involved. A step of faith, meaning there's some sense of risk on the human side of the equation. There's some sense that if God doesn't step in, I'm sunk. If he doesn't do what he said he's going to do, I'm in trouble. 
So there's a sense of risk because it's big, and it's bigger than your abilities, bigger than your pocketbook, bigger than your talents when God calls us to serve Him. Consequently, to follow Him doesn't require little changes. It requires big ones. I can't follow God and take little bitty steps. Ultimately, following God is going to change me completely. We have to adjust our lives to Him. So, how does He send me? Not to do my will, but to do His will. Secondly, not to speak my words, but His. John 7, verse 16, My doctrine is not mine, but His who sent me. John 8, 28, I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. John 12, verse 49, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. And then he says, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. You have the idea that Jesus sat around and made up things to say? Or that he was given the words to say? John 15, 15, all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. John 17, 8, for I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. If Jesus did this, if Jesus did not speak on his own authority, if Jesus did not make up what he was going to say, what he was going to teach, how can I do less? Paul would later say, how can they preach unless they are sent? We've got a lot of people who aren't sent that preach. But when you're sent, you're sent at the bidding of someone else. You're sent with the message of someone else. It's not your message. See through me, key number two. If I want people practically, if I'm not going to speak my words but his, what do I do? Frequently sharing what God is saying to me. Does God speak to you? And the good news is I don't ever have to come up with what to say. One of the ways God speaks is, is during that time, I trust on a daily basis when you get alone with him and you open up his word and as you, as you read his word, We read the Scripture, but as we read the Scripture, we've got to understand that this is not print on the page of an ordinary book. This is powerful. This is literally food for the human spirit. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is life to, you, to part of you, not, not necessarily your physical part of you, but your spirit and your soul. This is life. And so as I read it, I need to have an ear to what God is saying to me. And there are times when you read and, goodness, you get into certain sections of Scripture where they're reading about numbers and statistics and maybe you're going, oh my goodness, or the, some law about this or that. Maybe you're not hearing something, but all of a sudden there's a phrase. All of a sudden there's a word. All of a sudden there's a story. All of a sudden there's an account. All of a sudden there's a truth. All, all of a sudden God is speaking. And your heart comes alive. 
There's like a fire. There's a burning. There's a movement. It may be surprise. It may be conviction. It may be a stirring. But God speaks. And I don't know about you, but when God speaks, I almost always have to write it down, whether it's in the margin of my Bible or in a, in a, a notebook, and I write it down. Other times, it may be something while I'm praying. And as I'm praying for someone, God brings something to mind. I, I recognize it's Him. I'm listening to someone share their experience of God, sharing their testimony, sitting in a Sunday school class, sitting in a worship center, listening to a sermon, and I realize all of a sudden that God is speaking to me. And I'm hearing something that applies to something I'm praying about. It applies to a need in my life. Maybe it's something I wasn't even paying attention to. Suddenly, God has me paying attention to it. Now, why is that important? God is not going to have you share everything he shows you. But everything you share, everything you share ought to be something God has shown you. I can't tell you how many times, and I know many of you can, can share the same thing, where something you have read, something you have heard, something that you're learning, God has spoken to you. You have the opportunity the next day, two days later, a week later, two weeks later, to share it with someone else. That's how he works. Sometimes you're reading something, and maybe it's not even particularly for you, but you retain it, you understand it, you recognize that this is truth and it's becoming part of you and, and you have not one but two or three or four or five opportunities to share the same verse, the same truth, to pray with someone over the same material. That's how he works. It's interesting to me that when Jesus was tempted, most of, of, the, of the scripture he quotes comes right out of Deuteronomy. Now this is only a theory, but I wonder what he was reading that week. God has a way of taking our interactions with him and our interactions with his word and making it immediately relevant to our life. It is no accident that you're hearing this sermon this morning. So God is often speaking to us. But are we listening? Are we, are we saying, Lord, speak to me? And as you speak to me, I will share it, I will do it, I will apply it. Number three, how does he send me? Not to do my will, not to speak my words. Number three, not to do my works, but his. It's the last thing I want you to see. Not to do my works, but his. In John chapter 5, verse 30, he says, I can of myself, I can of myself do nothing. John 14, verse 10 the Father who dwells in me does the works. Now, this is how he did works. You say, well, Jesus was a son of God. He could have done anything. Well, sure he could, but he chose not to live that way. He chose to live as an ordinary human being. That's why he is our model. That's why he wants to be, the Father wants to conform us to his image. He was the son of God. He was fully God, fully man. But he chose to live as an ordinary man with the same resources available to him that are available to you and me. So he says, the father who dwells in me does the works. He was inhabited 
Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe for the sake of the works themselves. People have been healed. People have been raised from the dead. Lives have been changed. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Is that the Word of God? Do you believe that? Look at that. The works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. What's he saying? How did I do the works? The Father in me did the works. A few verses later he says, I'm sending my Holy Spirit. He's going to be in you the way my Father was in me. So how does this happen? John 15, verse 5. He's, we talked about this a year ago. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, stays with me, communes with me, walks with me, lives with me, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Now Jesus said, I can of myself do nothing. So who empowered his work? The Father. Then he says to you and me, Without me, you can do nothing. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Now the Father wants to bear fruit through your life. He wants to do things through you that as people see what you are doing, see your activity, you are the glass panes and people look through that and they see, oh, that person couldn't have done that. God must be at work. There's something larger than that man, that woman, that boy, that girl in that activity. God is at work through them. See through me, key number three. This is something you can do every day. Daily trusting Jesus to live his life through me. God did not call you to become a Christian, trust Jesus, have your sins forgiven, and go, just go do the best you can to be like Jesus. That's not what he told us to do. He saved you and took away your sins so that he could inhabit you and live his life in you and through you. Different way of life. This is the new covenant. Daily trusting Jesus to live his life through me. So the good news is, I don't have to make things happen. I don't push and produce the fruit. The only way fruit happens is if I what? Abide in Christ. He said, if you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit, and the Father will be glorified. When, it, when you read in the Scripture, you read about the fruit of the vine. You never read about the fruit of the branch. The vine produces the fruit. The branch is the vehicle, the see-through Christian. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So that means this. Every morning when you get up, when I get up, in so many words, oh God, I am powerless. I am bankrupt. I have nothing that I can offer, no power to produce fruit, no power to bring you glory, no ability, unless you live your life in me. 
oh, Jesus, would you come and live your life through me? Oh, man, doesn't that take all the pressure off? If you don't understand how amazing that is, what a, what a way to live. That's the way to live. That's the new life. That's the new covenant. Old covenant, do your best. New covenant, the best comes to live in you. And he will live his life through you if you'll abide in him, surrender to him, walk in him, rest in him, trust him.